Welcome to the City Baptist Church Podcast, where we are passionate about sharing the life-changing message of Jesus with Vancouver and beyond. Today's podcast is from our special teaching series, Simple Christmas. We're in the midst of all the busyness and chaos of the holiday season. We are taking the time to refocus on the simple truths found in the birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 2 today, we're going to be continuing our series we started last week, Simple Christmas, and uh, looking forward to what God has for us today, Um, and uh, hopefully you've got your notes there, and uh, man, what a a unique day, we're trying some new stuff today, I'll talk about at the end of the service a little bit technology-wise, we're trying a few new things this weekend, and so we're, uh, so far everything's working good, so just pray that it continues to work good, right, seeming we have technology issues all the time. But uh, I'm glad that you're here today and looking forward to the time uh, in the Word of God that we've got and some, uh, I I believe, an important, simple thought uh, from our series. So we're right in the middle of the Christmas season, of course, and and everybody's all jazzed about that, right? No, some people are not. Some people are. That's good. We're honest about it. And, uh, but I know for most people, there's always a certain aspect of Christmas season that uh, you're a little bit more excited about than others. Okay, so we'll do a little poll this morning, okay? You ready? All right, we're just going to do a little poll about Christmas. So uh, how many of you are more excited? Let's say this. What it may, how many of you, your favorite part about Christmas, uh, whether it's one or whether, whether it's a dozen, you're excited about possibly, let's just say possibly, because we're all adults here, because we realize, you know, uh, uh, possibly you might get a present. Anybody excited about that? Anybody excited about presents? Yeah, my hand's up. Come on. I love presents. I, I'm 35, and I still like presents. That's okay. Even if it's just one, even if it's just a kiss from my wife, I'm happy about that, you know? Yeah, all right, Jonah. All right, good. Jonah's happy about that. All right, so, so that's, you know, I know we're adults, and so we don't, you know, we don't, oh, well, well, presents aren't that big of a deal to us. But let me ask you this, and how many of you, though, when it comes to Christmas season, let's say the holiday season, how many of you be honest and say, actually, I'm more excited about the possibility of some good food during the holidays? Anybody? Okay, most of the guys are like, yeah, you know, or ham or turkey or whatever it is. I'm excited about it. I mean, it just seems like in the holiday season, like, it's all about the food, right? And, and Jonah was posting on Instagram yesterday about some food he had that he hadn't had in a while, and I need to try that, whatever that was. That looked good. And, uh, and so we get excited about food, but I got to tell you for myself, I'll just share a personal thing. The one thing I get excited about the most during the Christmas season is actually uh, Christmas movies, Anybody else like that? I don't know what it is. There's a, there's a few things. And I think it's because as a child, we never watched movies, like ever, almost never, except it was like Milo and Otis uh, or some like, see, exactly, you don't even know what that is, some obscure movie. And we watched a few things here and there, but around the Christmas season, I don't know what it was, but we would just, we would watch movies. We would watch Star Wars. I mean, come on. Like, think about it. If I don't watch anything all year, Christmas, I mean, that's a big deal. We watch Star Wars, you know, or, or we'd, uh, we'd rent something or we'd watch Home Alone, you know. Oh, well, come on. Yeah, we watched Home Alone, and uh, last night we uh, started Home Alone 2. And, uh, and, uh, or, or we would watch, uh, or we watch uh, the um, It's a Wonderful Life. Remember that? Black and white movie? I, I was kind of scared of it, I have to admit, a little bit, but there's some scary parts. But I love that, and, and for me, that's one of the things I like. I told Jeanette, I said, I've got to make sure that I'm not crazy busy, you know, so that I can spend time and watch Christmas movies just for me. Not, I mean, for the family, but you know what I mean, for me, so we can spend some time with the, as a family and do those things. And I really like, I like watching Christmas movies, and, and for us, you would all say, like, that's maybe your favorite part. All of us have certain favorite aspects about the holidays, but the one thing I want to ask you today is not what is your favorite part of the Christmas season, but what is the most important part of the Christmas season? 
Now, if I'd said that at the very beginning to you, what's the most important part of the Christmas season? All of us in the back of our minds would have been like, worshiping God, right? <laughs> there would have been this small voice and we would have said, worshiping the Lord, you know? And we would have heard that and then, and then someone would have said, worshiping God. Everybody said, yes, yes. That's what we all are. That's what we're all thinking. I asked your favorite because I wanted to hear actually what you were looking forward to. Because I know when I ask specifically what is the most important part, all of us go to the fact of worshiping Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what Christmas should be all about. And, and I didn't want to set you up for that answer, so that's why I asked it in a specific way. But that really is the truth. It's all about worshiping Jesus. That's what Christmas is. It's, it's a time that we set aside specifically to worship the Lord and to let other people know about his love for us. All of us have that in the back of our minds. But the thing is this, I want to I just say, even though we know it, even though we say, yes, worshiping Jesus is the most important thing during this season, the fact is, is that for many people, it does kind of take a little bit of a backseat. It does kind of become something we add on. You know, like, oh, it's Christmas morning, like, presents, pre oh, quick, 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 get the Bible. You know, <laughs> quick, let's read the Christmas story. All right, so we can run downstairs and open presents or whatever it may be. It becomes a, it becomes a, a thing that, oh, it's Christmas Eve, I guess I should go to church for an hour and sing a few hymns and then, and then I can get to the good stuff, right? And it becomes this thing that we sort of add in and, and it often gets missed. We get too busy, of course. Uh, so many things are going on. We're rushing everywhere. Uh, we try to do too much during the Christmas season. What is it about Christmas that makes us decide to write every person we've ever met, you know, and send them a card, right? I don't know what that is. It's like, I haven't talked to you in all year, but oh man, I better make sure to write you a nice note and send you off this Christmas card. It's so much stuff, right, that we're doing. And to top it all off, to me, this is uh, the most ironic part about Christmas is that it's the, one of the busiest times of the year, but then we decide, hey, let's give the kids two weeks off school and have them around the whole time, right? That's just ironic to me. You would think we'd be like, no, extra school during the Christmas season, you know, so that they have to, <laughs> so that we can get all these other things done. But there's so many things that are happening, so many reasons, so many excuses as to why we don't take the time to worship Christ. But I think one of the big reasons is, there's many things, of course. But one of the big reasons I feel that we do not worship Jesus as we should during the Christmas season is because maybe we just don't know how to worship Jesus the most effective way. You know, I realize today that for maybe for some of you, you've heard the word worship. Maybe you've been saved for a few years and you hear people talk about worship, but you don't actually know what it means to worship. What does it look like? What, it, what does it actually mean to worship Jesus Christ. So I, I want to define it today because that's what we're going to talk about. Simple truths from Christmas. We're going to talk about the idea of worshiping the Savior today. And it's interesting, but the word worship comes from a word uh, that uh, means worth-ship. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and, and the idea that it gives to us is, is a vessel of value. Something of great value, of great worth. By uh, definition, if we added a little bit more to it, it means a reverence offered a divine being or a supernatural power. It is an act of then expressing such reverence. So it's understanding the importance, it's understanding the reverence, but then it's also expressing the reverence to God. Of course, in our case, that's what we're talking about, worshiping the Lord. But in its, uh, in its original meaning, its entire focus is on value. It's on worth. It's on on what you give value to or what you attribute value to. I think all of us could probably relate to this in some way, but in your family, was there a vessel or was there an object in your family that had great value to your parents? Now think back with me to when you were a kid. Was there maybe a piece of, uh, uh, of china, a dish? There was a, uh, a vase maybe? Maybe, uh, maybe something in your family that had great value and you know as a child, 
do not touch that thing. Anyone else can relate to that? Oh, there was actually several of those in my family, you know? And when we were throwing a ball in the house, we didn't throw it around that thing. We threw it downstairs where there was nothing that could be hurt, you know? And, uh, or if we were doing something, and there was this, there's this thing. Now, we didn't worship it. Obviously, it wasn't an idol, but it was something that carried great value. And the reason it carried great value may not be because it was actually valuable. I remember for my mom, she had some little things that to her had great value. They did not have great monetary value, but they had a memory maybe to them. They had sentimental value. But the reason they were valuable is because she placed value on it. Maybe you have something like that in your home where you, it, to someone else, it may not be that big of a deal. And you know, it could be replaced maybe even tomorrow. But to you, it holds great value. That is something that you're giving worth to. Now, that's the idea when it comes to worship. We are giving uh, worth, we are giving value to God himself. And what we give worth to is what you worship. The things that you focus on becomes an aspect of your heart. Now, I think that all of us, of course, if we took the time, could give examples of things that we value, things that we give worth to. And I'm sure today many of you would say, well, Jesus Christ, you know, I give worship to him and I value him in my life. But I want to ask the question then, in what way then do you worship Jesus? In what way do you give worth to your relationship with Jesus Christ? So that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to talk about the whole idea of giving worship to the Lord and learning how to develop in each of us a heart of worship and then how we can relate it to worshiping Jesus during this Christmas season. And so what we're going to do to share that is we're going to go through the story of some of the first people who came and gave worth to Jesus Christ. They were not the very first ones or even the second ones necessarily, but later on they came and gave worth to Jesus. We know them as the Magi, the wise men. And today we're going to go through their story in Matthew chapter number 12. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 12 of Matthew chapter number 2. And I'd ask you to follow along with me uh, as we go and I'll just read through it. And then we're going to bring out six aspects of worship that we see in the story of uh, these wise men. Now, I'm just going to give you a heads up. We may not get through all six today. This may end up into a two-part message. Now, we've done that before, uh, so it may turn into that. No guarantees. If I feel good, I'm just going to keep rolling, okay? Uh, but we may split it up. But we'll <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, oh man. That's <laughs> <laughs> that was not a rumble of amens. That was a rumble of, oh, 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 quick, get the keys. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, but we'll do our best, okay? So verse number one, familiar story, and I want to point out some things. It says, now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. This is what they said in verse 2. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou, or art not the least among the prince, uh, princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. 
And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures and presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. They departed another way. So in this passage, like I mentioned, we're going to look at some ways to prepare our hearts for worship of Jesus Christ during the Christmas season. The first thing that we see here in this passage is found right away in verse number one, and that is we need to start with a sincere heart. If you're going to truly worship God in the way that he deserves to be worshiped, it has to come from a heart of sincerity, a heart of sincerity. It may sound simple today to say that. Oh yeah, we should have a sincere heart, but I got to tell you in the Christian life and it just being a human, that's one of the hardest things to do is to manage the sincerity of our heart, to, to understand truly who we are, to be able to remove things from our life that would hinder us from being truly sincere. And so we have to start with sincerity, and it, it is an important thing when it comes to worshiping the Lord. I want you to look again at verse number one. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to, the, to, um, to Jerusalem. Now we really don't know a lot about these guys, to be honest with you. We don't know a lot. There's a lot of um, ideas or speculation, you might want to say, that we understand from knowing the, their, their title of Magi of Wise Men, and that would then teach us some things about them. But we don't know a whole lot about who they were or, or what they were trying to, doing, uh, trying to do. But the word here translated wise men is Magi. It refers to a group of people who were scholars, uh, people who studied the stars. Of course, uh, in entomology, their word Magi, we get the word magician later on. And that was an aspect of the things that they would try to do. As you look throughout Scripture, you see, uh, you see uh, stories and instances of people trying to do these um, magical things, in essence, to prove that they were wise and so that people would listen to them. But that's not the only thing that they did. If you think back all the way to Daniel... Um, back in the life of Daniel, you remember da Daniel was part of the wise men of the people there in Babylon. And so while some of them did uh, magic or whatever you want to call it, others uh, uh, went to the stars. Others like Daniel, of course, uh, spoke truth uh, from the word of God. There's very few of those, by the way. Uh, but Daniel was one of those, and he was part of this group of, of wise men. But besides the fact that they were astrologers and all of this, one of the things that they did is they provided uh, advice to politicians, to kings and those in charge. They were the ones who would bring their expertise. Many of them had expertise in agriculture and, and history and math and science and religion and all of these things, and it would, it would develop into a position of great influence, also a position of great fear. If you know some of the Old Testament stories, when the wise men would come and give advice that the king didn't like, what would he do, you know? <laughs> Kill them all, right? And so it was a very interesting position because they held great power, but they were also dispensable. <laughs> and so it was kind of a place that would be, I know for me, I'd be nervous to be in a situation like that. But they had great power. They were kind of, oftentimes, there were the power behind the power. Even in ancient Egypt, that was the story a lot. And so these men had a lot of influence. They were people who, who understood a, a lot of different things. And they had heard about a king being born in Jerusalem. Now, I was telling Jeanette this, this morning, and I was like, Jeanette, there's all this stuff I want to say, but I can't say it today because I don't have the time. But I think I'm going to say it anyway. Is that okay? Because this stuff is so interesting. So here's the, okay, let's just talk for a minute, all right? Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, then they won't be able to see on there. Okay, but think about this for a minute. How did they know, this is, this is, okay, how did they know that this star meant anything? Besides the fact that a star appeared to them. They were astrologers. They would have noticed, obviously. They would have seen like, well, hey, this is different. What would they have known? Now, there's, there's a lot of different ideas around it. I feel 
specifically to connect it into a Bible situation, I think it kind of connects a little bit more this way. But you have to remember, how many of you remember uh, Balaam, the story of Balaam and the talking donkey? Remember that, Balaam? Now, Balaam was a, uh, he was a bit of a mystic kind of a guy. He had some real, he had some real uh, poor things about his character and his decisions. And then God also used him and his donkey in a very unique way as well. Much of it, by the way, God used him even though he was resisting God. But in Numbers chapter number, in Numbers 24, he made mention to a star that would come over, uh, that a star that would come that would indicate the presence of a coming king. And so then as well, um, in Daniel, Daniel would have, uh, Daniel mentioned it in Daniel chapter number 9, 25 and 26. He talked about Jerusalem and he, and he, and he talked about these things. So between these two, uh, uh, Balaam was also from the east. He was from that region. Now we believe they were more than likely from Babylon. And so between uh, Balaam's prophecy, the thing that he talked about, and between uh, the historical stuff that Daniel wrote, these men would have seen and they would have put two and two together and thought, okay, something's happening. Something's happening. We're going to pursue this. And so they saw this sign from God in the sky. And so they traveled. By the way, they were Gentiles. They were not Jews, which tells us that from the very beginning, the Savior of the world was for all mankind that he would signal to Gentiles, to non-Jews about this. And so they see this sign from God in heaven and they travel then to see this king and to worship him. And, and the reason they did not go directly to Bethlehem is because all they knew was the word Jerusalem and they knew star and so they went to Jerusalem because that's where they assumed the king would be, right? If they're non-believers, they don't know anything else, they did not have any of the other prophecies uh, given to the Israelites, they would have only had these two things. And so they went to Jerusalem to see if they could uh, find Jesus. Now, it would not have been a simple journey. It would have been difficult. It would have been long. So I just want to break down right now the idea that, you know, at the stable, the shepherds were there and the wise men were there. This was more than likely a year and a half later, months and months after the birth of Jesus Christ, that they would have arrived in Jerusalem. So it was a big journey. It was expensive. It would have all these things. All they would have known is this reference by Balaam and Daniel's prophecies. They wouldn't have known about Micah's prophecies about Bethlehem. And so they went there to discover this king. Now here's the thing I want you to see. They went to great effort uh, to find the king. And what that shows me is it's much more than just an intellectual pursuit for them. It wasn't just a, hey, I wonder what's going on. For them, these men wanted to go. They wanted to worship this king. They wanted to find out what was coming. And here's the thing. When it comes to worship, it really comes down to your desire to bring glory and worth to the Lord. These guys exuded great effort to go and to worship the king. And for us, we need to also put some effort behind the sincerity of our heart, an effort to pursue a passion for worship. You think of it this way, you know, when it comes to our physical needs, when we're hungry, let's just use that as an illustration, when we're hungry, we'll do what we got to do to fill that need, right? Like, man, I'm hungry. There's an emptiness inside of me. I'm going to fill that thing up, double, double, whatever, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever I got to get to meet that physical need. But the thing is, is when it comes to worship, worship is a spiritual need. And when it comes to worshiping God and having that spiritual need, oftentimes what people describe as an emptiness within them, what they're missing out on is this idea of worship. There's a spiritual emptiness that can only be filled by us giving worth to God. And so many people today try to fill a spiritual emptiness with a physical solution. So many people today. So many people say, oh, I feel empty, you know, like I feel like I'm not, uh, I, I'm not, um, I'm not uh, f fulfilling my purpose or there's all sorts of things that people will say today. And so they, they try to do physical things to fulfill an emptiness inside of them. Christians do this, by the way. We, we feel like we're not connecting with God. And so we, uh, and so we buy ourselves something nice. 
to make us feel good for a little bit, right? We're, uh, we're struggling personally. We're struggling uh, spiritually. And so uh, we turn to vices, whether it's just binge watching all the time to just sort of try to numb it away or we overeat or we, we spend lavishly or we do these things, these physical things, you know what I'm saying, to try to meet a emptiness, a spiritual need inside. I think many of the addictions that people face today are people trying to fulfill a spiritual need with a physical solution. Whether it's drugs or alcohol or whatever it may be, they're trying to fill this void inside of us. But the fact is we got to remember is that within us, there is a desire, there's a thirst for God. There's a thirst to give him worth in our lives, to put him in our hearts and put him in our lives and to give him first place. In Psalm 42, 2, it says, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? See, the emptiness that so many people struggle with is something that can only be filled by God himself, and it can only be reached, I believe, from a genuine, sincere heart of worship. All throughout scripture, you got to think about it. We see um, this spiritual need illustrated to us in physical ways. Now, that's the funny thing. In scripture, the spiritual need is illustrated in a physical way, right? Like Jesus would say, uh, you know, uh, you need the living water that only comes from me, right? That's a physical thing that we can connect to. He talks about taste and see that the Lord is good. And so for many people, uh, what we need to realize is that Jesus is saying you have a spiritual need and I can fulfill that spiritual hunger through the acknowledgement that God is king of your life, that he's sovereign over all aspects of my life and that he created us with a purpose, that he's given us a perfect will uh, for us to follow. And when we acknowledge that, when we give worth to that truth, the trusted truth of the word of God and we give worth to it, we then point our hearts in worship to Jesus Christ. Uh, so many people feel like worship, you know, is just, oh, worship is just singing a song or lifting your hands or something, closing your eyes. Or it, that, that's not worship. Worship is giving worth to Jesus Christ, to letting him be the one to fill you, that emptiness inside of you that you're struggling with. It's pointing towards him. It happens in a song service. It happens in your prayer time. It happens in your personal devotions. It happens walking down the street. We are made for worship, and we can worship God in every place, but we, has to, we have to make it a focus of our lives. There has to be a sincerity that there's a desire. Lord, I have this emptiness inside of me. Lord, I have this, I have this something that's, that I need. I need you, God. And so I'm going to give worth to you and allow you to take control of my life. When we do that, the needs that you have can be met in a deeper way than you could ever imagine. Those, the loneliness of your heart, the, the struggle that you, you fall into, the sin that you're, you're dealing with, the, the heartache, the trials. God can meet your needs in, in a way that you never thought possible, but it takes you taking your worth off of other things and pointing your worth all to Jesus Christ himself in worship, giving your worth to him. And that's where we start. It's not a switch that we flip. I wish it was, right? We walk into church, and it's like on the side of your leg, worship, here we go, you know, and we walk in. It's, it's a mentality, and it has to come from that sincere heart, and it has to come with a passion. These, these wise men, they didn't know anything else except that they needed to worship the king. <laughs> That's all they knew. And so they did whatever they had to do to make sure they got to that place of worship. And so they had this desire that came from a sincerity that led them to find Jesus Christ. Man, I pray all the time that people in our community who are empty, people who are searching, would pursue fulfilling that emptiness in Jesus Christ. Because when you pursue Christ, you're going to find Christ. I really believe that. And these men, they were pursuing Christ and they were going after him. And so if we're going to worship truly, we need to start with a sincere heart. But number two this morning, we also need to maintain an expectant spirit. I, I'm going to 
explain this here in depth and just for a moment here. We need to maintain an expectant spirit. This is where the faith factor in a life of worship comes to, comes to rest. Where you have an expectancy that God is going to show up. That God is going to be there and God is going to work. A heart of expectancy. Expectancy. Look at verse number two. So the wise men, they get there. They get, uh, they get to Jerusalem, and this is what they said, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They shut up, and they're like, where is he? Where is he? Where is this king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. These guys, after this long journey, when they came to Jerusalem there, they stood before Herod, and guess what? They expected Jesus to be there. <laughs> They expected him to be, uh, they didn't know, again, they didn't know what they were coming to. They didn't know how long it had been. They didn't know what to expect, but they knew that some, that he should be there. This king, this king of the Jews should be there. There was no doubt in their hearts. There was no questioning. They expected him to be there so that they could worship to him. And, and listen, this is a great lesson for us when it comes to the time of our corporate worship. When we come together as a church family, because so much of the time we're rushing to get here, Right? Oh, and whoo, whoo. I mean, Christian lives downstairs and he has to rush to get here, you know, and uh, I'm joking, but he, <laughs> he's like, you know, we have to rush to get here and then we got to find parking, you know, don't talk to me about parking. I get it. By the way, if you come early, there's parking in the back available. You got to come early. Anyway, you know, we're rushing and there's, there's parking or the bus is late, right? Or we got to get the kids settled and we got to grab a coffee. We got to have a snack. We got to say hi to this person. We got to talk to this. We got to do all of these things. And then it's like Christian starts playing music and it's like, worship, you know, <laughs> but in reality you're like oh great I can sit for an hour with no one bothering me right parents I can sit for an hour with no one poking me you know I hope he doesn't go an hour you know I, I need a rest I have this time of of quiet listen what if we raised our expectations a little bit when it came time to our our corporate worship when it came time for us to be here at church together what if we had an expectation that Jesus is here by the way he's here <laughs> he's here right now with us but coming to church with a little bit more expectation. What if we were like the wise men when we came to church and we're like, hey, Jesus, where are you? I'm ready to go. I'm ready to learn from you. Uh, where is the word? I came to worship Jesus today and my heart is full. I have sincerity and I'm going to worship the Lord today. I'm going to lift him up with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and by the way, it doesn't just happen here. It happens in your personal devotions as well. When was the last time you took the word of God and you opened it up to your Bible reading schedule or whatever and you're like, Jesus, I, I'm here to worship you today. I want to hear from you. I want to speak to you. Spend time with you. That, that heart of expectancy, expecting God to do something in your heart. These wise men had an expectant attitude. They're like, man, I'm ready. He's here. Where's the king? <laughs> He's supposed to be here. But, but it all really, it does kind of come back to our attitude a little bit. I want to show you a couple other attitudes in this story. So first of all, the, those wise men, they had an expectant attitude. But then we come to King Herod. Now Herod had a resistant attitude. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So they came, to this, uh, they came to the king, and Herod was not a good guy. Let me just put that out there. He was not a good guy. He was, uh, uh, he was a murderer. <laughs> he had his own wife and her two brothers murdered because he suspected them of treason. Suspected. Didn't know. He suspected them of treason, so he killed his own wife and his two brothers. He was married nine times to fulfill his lusts and to strengthen his political ties, and he murdered countless people. And so it's no wonder when they said, hey, where's the king of the Jews? And Herod was like, I'm the appointed king of the Jews. Even though he wasn't all Jew, he would have been appointed by the Roman government. Of course, he's going to kill this kid. 
Of course that's what he's thinking. He's resisting. He says, he says, what are you talking about? And so he demanded of them, hey, where is this, where's this, this baby supposed to be born? Where is this king of the Jews supposedly that you're telling me? Because I'm going to, in his mind, he's thinking, I'm going to take care of this right now. And so Herod, he had a resistant attitude to their worship. They had an expectant attitude. But then we come across these scribes and priests. Now, they had an indifferent attitude. There's a good three-point sermon right there. Expected. Okay, all right. They had an indifferent attitude. Now, look at this. Verse number five, it says, and they said unto him. So Herod called in verse four, he called the chief priests and scribes. Okay, so these are the, the Jewish leaders. Now, don't miss out on this. And he said unto them, or they, they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. So Herod said, hey, these, these uh, wise men said that there's a king of the Jews supposed to be born. Now think about this for a minute. This is crazy. The wise men and the priests said, or the scribes and the priests said, Oh, it's Bethlehem of Judea. They knew exactly where this was supposed to take place. Now look at the rest of the verse. For thus it is written by the prophet. Which prophet was that? It's Micah. Micah chapter 5, verse number 2. So it's written by the prophet, and this is, they're quoting him. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So imagine the situation here. <laughs> the wise men come in and say, where's the king of the Jews? Herod says, what are you talking about? Hey, get those wise, or, or, get, I keep saying wise men. Get those priests and get those scribes over here. Hey, he said a king is supposed to be born. Who is it? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's going to happen over in Bethlehem. Okay. They knew. Think about it. They knew. They knew that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. And these scribes and these priests are sitting 10 kilometers away from Bethlehem. It's like five and a half miles, 10 kilometers and they're sitting over here, and they know what is taking place. These wise men came and said, hey, we saw a star up over, over somewhere over here. Where was it? They knew about the star. They knew about the prophecy, and they just were like, oh, yeah, it's over there. Why were they not like, man, on their camels, like, you know, full speed. I'm going to get all the way over there, and we're going to find this thing. I'm, you know, give me a fresh donkey. I'm headed right over to find out. They just were like, oh, yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be over there. Okay, think about that for a minute. This, to me, this, this so illustrates often how we respond to worship and even the things of God sometimes. Even a time of worship. Some people come expectant, like, man, I cannot wait to hear from God today. I cannot wait to hear the message. I cannot wait to hear uh, uh, what, what God is going to teach us. I can't wait to sing with my brothers and sisters. And then other people are resistant a little bit. Maybe they're just new. They're not really sure, like, I don't know, you know, I'm still figuring things out. But then there's others, and I would say this, unfortunately, sometimes it's people who have been saved the longest, we know these things, and so we're indifferent to them. It's like, oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, Jesus, Messiah. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's the Messiah. A am I wrong? I I'm guilty of this. I know that he is Lord of all, but, you know, I'm kind of having a rough time right now. I, I know that he's going to provide. I know he's going to be there for me and all that, but, you know, you know, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I've been a Christian for 20 years. Eh. Instead of running to him, right? Instead of running to him in worship and expectation, we're indifferent to the whole thing. It's like, oh yeah, there's a prophecy. Yeah, it's in Bethlehem, Ephrata. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a little town. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Man, God spoke to me so strongly through this this week. That we're just, so often we're just indifferent when it comes to this idea of worship. These wise men here show us the importance of being expectant for God to work. 
I hope that you approach your time of personal devotion and personal worship and corporate worship with a heart of expectancy that God's going to do something. Man, Lord, I want you to work. By the way, when you have that heart of expectancy throughout the week, it makes it so much easier on Sunday. <laughs> so much easier. You know, so many times we like sit in the car, you know, we pull up for church and we sit there and we're like, Lord, please forgive me, you know, <laughs> and we try to wipe out a week of poor attitude and sin and all this in like five seconds so that God will work in our hearts, you know, in the last moment, you know, or, or, or and, and by the way, God does speak to us in different times and I understand all those things, but you understand what I'm saying, coming with that heart of expectancy, expectancy, remember you get out of it what you put into it, right? Just this week, uh, I was taking, Maximus is in a, in a basketball program and and uh, it's kind of a new program for him, and so he's still figuring some things out, and he's, he's doing all right, but one of the coaches came to me. He's like, how's he doing? I said, yeah, he's doing great, you know, and, 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 he, and, he, and he said this to me. He said, uh, he said now, um, he needs to work on some stuff, and I said, yeah, he does need to work on it. He's, like, he's like, I like him to play with some older kids and some other things, you know. He's like, but I'm worried about him getting discouraged because they're so much better than him and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, and, and, and I said to him, I, I said to him, I said, hey, I appreciate that and all that, but I said, I said, Maximus, he is the mentality that if he's not where he needs to be, he wants to get to where he needs to be. So it's actually a good thing for him. Now, every kid is different, and it's important for us to know our kids. But for Maximus, he has that kind of like, you know, that intense sort of attitude. And if, if he's not where he needs to be, he doesn't, he's not like, oh, I'm never going to do it. He, he works hard. You know what I mean? He'll, he has that kind of attitude, and he puts into it, and then he starts to get more things out of it. If you've ever played sports at all, you know that. What you put into it, what you get out of it. You know, if you work hard, if you're a basketball player and, you're, and your left hand's terrible, but you work on your left hand, and you work on your left hand dribbling and shooting and all that, guess what? You're going you're gonna to get something out of it. And it's the same way with worship. What we put into it is what we're going to get out of it. When we come with that approach expectancy, that focus, and, and I mean even in things like this, confessing my sin, getting right before the Lord, having sincerity and saying, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to worship you. I want to hear from you today. Uh, you'll get a lot more out of it with that expectant heart and that expectant attitude. We've all had jobs that we hated going to, right? Guess what? You're probably not with that job anymore, <laughs> to be honest, because it didn't work out. But then other jobs you liked, and you're like, you put a focus. You're like, man, I want to be here. By the way, even a bad job, if you have the good ad a good attitude, can turn out to be a better situation, <laughs> okay? Uh, and as Christians, we need to lead the way in that, having the right attitude. But we get out of it, we put into it. I was thinking of First uh, Peter 1.13, where he tells us when it, comes to, uh, when it comes to our worship, he says, gird up the loins of your mind. That's the idea of a warrior going into battle, and they would take, they would take their robe uh, that would normally be kind of hanging down. They'd take it, and they'd pull it up, and they tie it around their waist, and that meant they were ready to roll. They could run fast, jump, you know, spin over rocks and roll and shoot arrows, <laughs> all the stuff they're going to do. And it was the idea of getting ready for battle. And our minds need to be the same way. We need to prepare ourselves. Prepare ourselves for action. Be sober to the end for the grace uh, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning we need to prepare our minds and be set in hope towards Jesus Christ. I want to go back to verse number seven now. So we need to have that focus. Verse number seven says, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men. So the scribes and the priests said that. They said he's in Bethlehem. He sent them away, and he's now meeting with the wise men again. He inquired of them, dem, uh, of them diligently what time the star appeared. Hey, what time did the star appear? Like at 10.30. No, no, what, you know, when? When did this happen? And they're like, oh, man, it was like 10 months ago we saw this star. Okay, whatever it may be. And so he asked them, when did this happen? Verse eight, and he sent them to Bethlehem. So he said, okay, I want you guys to go to Bethlehem. And he said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again. Now, this is where his character comes through. That I may come and worship him also. <laughs> you know, I'm sure he said it real innocently. 
that I may come and worship him also. In the back of his mind, he's like, with a sword, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's what he's saying. He says, I want you to go and find him, and I want you to come back, and I want to go and worship him too. In reality, and of course we know later on what happened. That's His intent was to kill him, to kill him. He wanted to know how old the baby was, maybe, and then what he had to do to eliminate him. And so Herod and the scribes pointed these guys in the, in the right direction, of course, But these men intent on worship then continued. And that brings us to point number three when it comes to worship is that we need to choose to express joy. So we need to start out with a sincere heart. We need to maintain that expectant spirit that God is going to do something in us. And then there's something that takes place in that worship and that is there is an expression of joy we see. Look at verse number uh, nine and 10. It says, when they had heard the king, they departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east Uh, went before them so we know uh, from this verse right here that it wasn't always before them but it appeared again it went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was so there was some I don't know how this worked it's miraculous okay so don't try to you know illustrate it in any other way it was a miraculous thing that took place and it stood over where the young child was and when they saw the star look what happened they rejoiced with exceeding great joy When they saw that star appear as they started their journey to Bethlehem, those few kilometers, it tells us that when they saw it, when they saw that confirmation of what they had been pursuing for all of this time, it says that they rejoiced exceedingly. It means that they were overcome by joy. In the original languages, it means they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. This is exactly what it means right here. They, it, it, was, it, was a, it was an overwhelming thing and, and their desire for worship had led them in the right direction and they saw that confirmation and they got excited about it. They were joyful. There was an expression. The thing is, is that when we are truly connected to God through worship, there is a joy that must be expressed. When you understand God's love for you, when you understand his watch care for you, when you uh, uh, understand these things, there's an element of joy that can only be expressed in a moment of true worship to God of true giving him worth, there's, a, there's a, a joy that cannot be explained that needs to be and can be expressed when we connect to God through worship. You could see, I think you could see the joy of these men. I don't know if they all slapped their camels when they saw it, you know, like, let's go, you know, and man, this is great, and they're high-fiving each other and all of these things, and they're headed towards Jerusalem, and people on the side of the road are like, what is going on, you know? These guys are, are rolling uh, towards it, and I got to tell you, just as much as you can see the joy of, of their desire to worship in their, in their lives, for the Christian, there should be a joy that's visible to others from our worship. A person who truly gives worth to God, a person who truly makes him first place in their life, there's a joy that, can be exp- that, that, that is visible on their life. Now, I'm not talking about that everybody's this, you know, super like bubbly personality, like, <laughs> I'm so joyful. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, like always like, you know, okay. You know, not everyone reflects joy of the Lord in that same way. Okay. So I want to put that out there right now. When I'm talking about expressing joy, I'm not talking that we're all these clones, right? That are just as like over, like bubbling. It has to fit your personality, by the way. Okay. I think one of the problems, to be honest with you, in a lot of uh, some maybe more mainstream churches is that, there's an expectation that's set that this is what worship looks like, and then everybody just mirrors whatever that is. Listen, your joy of worship has to come from who you are. Amen. You know, for, for some of you, you may be 
super bubbly and, and, you know, and just, man, and it's all over your face. For others, if just the corner of your mouth goes up, that's you expressing joy exceedingly, you know? And uh, we need to praise the Lord for that. Because for you, that's like, man, I can't believe I smiled in church today. That was, wow, my heart was beating fast, and man, I smiled, you know? And uh, <laughs> I can't believe that it happened. You know, the idea is that it's not about a fake expression. It's not about fake here. It's about genuine. It's about a genuine thing. Joy of the Lord, thankfulness and worship will lead us to experience and express joy. It could be that for you to express your joy during a time of corporate worship, you might say amen in a service. Right? You might say amen, that's great. And you're expressing the joy. You're expressing your time of worship by agreeing with what's taking place. That's okay. For others, it may just, it may just be that you, you're just there. And inside, you know, the Lord is just doing a work in your life. And it could be, it, it, sometimes it's expressed through tears during your, your devotions. And you're reading the Bible and God just speaks to you and you just weep. That's an expression uh, of, your, of your worship. The idea is that it's nothing cliche. It's nothing that maybe somebody else does that you think looks kind of cool. <laughs> it's however God leads you to express joy in worship. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. You know, it may be that when we're singing a song and God is speaking to you and you want to put your hand up, holy hand, the Bible says. Okay, and it's not a distraction to other people. And it's genuine from a true heart of God. Listen, that's okay. Don't, don't freak out about it. I know, like, we're non-Pentecostal, right? So we keep our hands down, you know? And, and that, was a, that was kind of a thing in, in the 80s and 90s where that was, became a big thing in, in some of those movements that have some different doctrines than us. And so, you know, as Baptists, we say, well, we're going to we're gonna just, we're going to lock it down, okay? We're going to lock it down. And different churches have different cultures. I guess what I'm saying, though, it's got to be genuine, okay? And, and, it, and it can't be a distraction to other people. The moment that we express, uh, um, let's say in a worship time, a singing time, and we express it to draw attention to ourselves, it's wrong, okay? The Bible says lift up holy hands. It's got to be holy hands in prayer. By the way, most of the time that hands are lifted in Scripture is in prayer. It's not in singing, okay? Um, but listen, if, if the Lord leads you to express worship in that way, it's okay. Don't be afraid of it. Amen. Don't be like. Now, I'm just talking about one thing. Guess what? A great way to express your worship is to sing out. <laughs> just sing out. Don't be afraid. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, right? And it doesn't have to be a good noise. Just joyful. And, and lift it up. Sing your voice. M smile, you know? Uh, if the Lord, if it, don't be afraid of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Amen. This doesn't mean that we're, you know, that, that uh, as soon as we start, you know, the song, everybody runs to the front and stands right in front of Christian and, you know, and all of this kind of stuff. Um, listen, it's not a performance. We're worshiping the Lord together Amen. in the beauty of holiness, okay? And uh, in truth as well. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is it's got it's to fit you, okay? It's got to be a genuine expression. It cannot be, uh, it cannot be fake or copying something. It's got to be genuine. It's got to be genuine from sincerity. But my point is, is that when there is worship, there will be an expression of joy. There'll be an expression of joy. And, uh, and, and that's what we need to remember. That, listen, that heart of worship leads us to an expression. And, man, that's the most wonderful thing. When our hearts are full of joy, when our hearts are full of worship to our Lord. These wise men here expressed their joy in this time of worship. And now it comes to the point, they're headed to Bethlehem, and they finally arrive to see the Christ child. And we're going to get to that next week. We hope today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will continue to do a unique work as you pursue His will for your life.